Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Body image, it's such a personal issue, and yet everyone who has ever looked in the mirror has made a judgment on what they see. Does this affect how we treat ourselves? Can it lead to unnecessary body abuse? To help us understand how our feelings about ourselves translate into better health choices, Laura Fenimore is in the studio. She's written the book Skinny Fat Perfect and is hoping to share the message of a healthy body image being the first step to better health overall. As always, you are part of this conversation and you can join us at any time with your thoughts on if you've ever suffered from issues with body image concerns or if you see a loved one suffer from this as well. And, you know, often we think this is just something for women, but there are plenty of men out there who suffer some of the same issues. So you can join us at 941-3689, toll free our neighbor islands, 1-877-941-3689. Without further ado, Laura, welcome to The Body Show. I am so honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, and thanks for really writing your book and reaching out to folks to let them know that it's okay. No matter what you see when you look in the mirror or if you choose not to look in the mirror, part of learning to take good care of yourself is learning to love what it is that you see. Mm -hmm. And lots of us wish, you know, we had those figures of the 18-year-olds we see in the magazines or, you know, the thick, wonderful, bouncy hair and the perfect complexion and the, you know, perfect face and perfect body. And yet that's not, you know, there's plenty of people like that and that doesn't guarantee happiness, but that really shouldn't be our goal. Mm -mm. Now, you started this mission because you had some, some issues when you were younger that really helped to highlight for you areas of your health that you needed to focus on, but it wasn't always easy. Tell me more about how this whole mission of yours to educate all of us started. Yeah, I am happy to tell that. And I always share that I talk about my story to give people possibility and hope about where they can go and where they've been. I had a really, really challenging, rough beginning. And like, I'm not different than other people. A lot of people had challenging childhoods and challenging beginnings. And it's not where we started. It's where we end up. And I'm just blessed and lucky that I was given a second chance. So I'm the youngest of eight children. I come from suburban Long Island. And I had a father who was unmedicated and undiagnosed. And he used rage and just negative stuff to deal with his children and to deal with his life. He had been abused as a child, too, and so kind of transferred that stuff onto us. And by the time I was 11 years old, I was put into foster care. Well, being the youngest, my mom, who's just a darling person who's now I have love and have forgiven, and she's 90 years old, but my mom at the time had a lot to deal with kind of a crazy husband and seven children, a lot to manage. And she didn't really, you know, have the ability to really take care. And I took to the bottle. I took to food like there's nobody's business. It was my salvation. It was my, it was everything for me. I mean, when we use the phrase food is love, food was absolutely love for me. And I was extremely addicted to it. I didn't see a way out of being unaddicted to it. And when I can finally talk about it to people like, I have a problem with food, 
you know, people didn't know how to help me or what, what, they couldn't help me with what was going on. So what happened is, you know, my life went on. I got sicker and sicker. I got um, more and more addicted to food and then alcohol and then drugs and just major addiction because I was covering up a lie. And that lie was that I was unworthy of being alive. That was the kind of stuff that my father would tell me and my siblings. He was very cruel and didn't know, again, how to help himself. So he projected a lot of his own self-hatred onto us. And I understand that all today. But at the time, I really didn't know what to do with myself. And I would go to try to get help and people didn't know what to do for me or how to help me. And I really did think that it was impossible for me to get help. So fast forward many years, by the time I was 24 years old, I was looking at ways to end my life because I was really, really miserable. At that point, I was obese. I was alcoholic. I was, you know, very, very heavy smoker. And I just didn't see a way out or a way through. And You know, things happen how they happen, but I was given a message that if you heal yourself, this is your work. Well, when you're 24 years old and when you're crazy, what what does that even mean to you? I mean, I, I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew that there was a higher purpose for me, and I was also very cocky, and at the time, I just remember being, you know, like, like, oh, goodness gracious, my father has just taken my life and I was, I was victimized and I felt so much like a victim, but I thought if I take my life, he will have won. And that was really my turnaround. It was like, uh uh-uh, you know, and of course at this day and age, I don't see my father as anyone that won anything. He suffered a lot. So I have nothing but compassion. He's gone now. He, He died in the late 90s, I have compassion for him. And he had a miserable life, and he didn't have a way to access help. And, you know, it's very, very unfortunate. But I did have a way to access hope. And I spent the next year, I got myself into 12-step programs, and I spent the next year just really diving deep into some of the deeper issues in my life. I released 100 pounds. I got clean and sober. I did all kinds of things to help myself and heal myself. And that, unfortunately, and now I know, doesn't take away releasing weight, getting clean and sober, doesn't take away any of the safe self-hatred that I was experiencing. That is what I call a process, not a pill. That takes time. That takes habit. That takes uh, that that takes a decision, a conscious decision to like, I will do whatever it takes. And I knew I had a mission. I knew I had a purpose and, and I was in. So I did release 12, 100 pounds, got clean and sober. And I just had this absolute ridiculous illusion back then that if I lose weight, I'm going to be happy. And it wasn't true at all. I, I, I released the weight and I still had issues around my body image. I was still comparing myself to other people. I was still like, it's still not good enough. Well, great. Now what do I do? So I knew in the back of my mind that this was my mission. This was my life work, but I couldn't work with men and women around the world unless I truly could heal my relationship with my body, with the scale with food. And that took some time and effort. So the, the 
the book is a apps. Well, it sounds like it reflects your story. Now, you mentioned a couple of things I wanted to just touch on. And you said, you know, when you would tell people you had a problem with food, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't understand it. But if you said alcohol or drugs, they kind of understood that. Do you think the reason why people might even be in denial about a problem with food might be because, you know, everybody needs food, not everybody needs alcohol, not everyone needs drugs, but because food is an essential element of survival, Mm -hmm. do we just ignore the fact that some people might have a food addiction, just like they have other addictions. Is it something, do you think, society doesn't recognize? I think it's something that society overlooks more. And I think that food really does get a bad rap. I I think of food as a gift. Food is medicine for our bodies. We can't live without it. I mean, there are people that do and can, but for the most part, our bodies need it. Right. We need food. So you kind of have to get food. But it sounds like, and it certainly seems like these days it's all about faster, quicker, produce more. And there's all different things that go into that sort of a a situation. I think back to before we even had McDonald's or Burger King or Jack in the Box, people kind of had to go ahead and make their own food, take mm-hmm. the time and effort to think about it, plan a meal, go shopping, get ingredients, come home, make the meal, kind of make it an event. Mm-hmm. And these days, life is so fast-paced that it's about where can I get some food quick because I don't have time to do what I need to do, which is take time to nourish my body. I just have time to quick eat because I have 10 other things to do. Mm -hmm. Have we created a faster-paced society that has messed us up? Well, I actually think that we have, but I also think that there's a way through that. So let's talk a little bit about your struggle. You said you were 24 and you had this sort of epiphany and it was, you know— You don't want to let anyone win. If you had done something harmful to yourself, you felt like your dad would have won because Mm -hmm. he had always said you're not worth it and you would be in some way agreeing with him. And you decided this isn't the way I'm going to go. Mm -mm. And I love the way you talk about weight loss. You released it. Mm -hmm. And and that's a very good description of what had happened. And you said you participated in several 12-step programs in an effort to really get off of some of the other substances that you might have been using. For somebody who has not yet had that epiphany, what would you say to them? Well, I'm glad that you're listening to the show, and I hope that you're listening to the show, because it's really important to remember that there is always support out there in the world, that no matter what your mind thinks, says, or what the world is saying about you're alone, you're not alone. No one is alone. There's always help and hope on this planet for everybody. No matter how dreadful it feels, there's always help. So it's taking that first step. That's the hardest thing. What if someone who was listening said, my grandson or granddaughter or son or daughter or nephew or whoever, I think they have some issues. Mm -hmm. What should they say to their loved one to help them to recognize that there is more out there for them? Yeah. So there's this thing about role model, being an amazing, amazing role model. I love to tell the story about going to the dentist office one day, and the woman who was the physician's assistant asked me what I did, and I told her that I was a body image expert and, you know, a weight release coach. And she said, oh, you know, I hate my body. She just started talking about it. She just right out. At the dentist's office. Yeah, right out there. Just They always ask you questions, and you can't answer it, right? But I'm so happy that my daughters have a healthy relationship with their body because, you know, that really is great. And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's interesting that 
she said, but they're always trying to take care of me. So I thought that was a really interesting point that she's role modeling something that for whatever reason, her, their daughters got a healthier body esteem, healthier self-esteem, but they're observing the mother. So I think that the first thing that you should do for that relative of yours is to actually look in the mirror and make sure that you're showing up in the healthiest way possible. And that without trying to control or manipulate or tell them what to do, that you provide a safe space for them to know that there's hope and possibility. So not to, like, tell them what to do, but to suggest. Like, for example, hey, I'm going to cook dinner tonight. I'm going to make some healthy, you know, whatever you want to eat, salad or salmon or broccoli, whatever it is, and say, hey, let's have this instead of, okay, let's order a pizza. Just sort Mm -hmm. of provide that opportunity for them to eat something healthier and just kind of make it a normal thing. Exactly. Provide options for them that are, you know, mimicking where you want them to go so that it's not that they have those options so that they can actually and, you know, have very, very loose ended conversations about consequences without being controlling and manipulating to them and share stories about, you know, what you've heard and Again, there's a way to be with people that isn't, you know, dictatorial. Sure, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think the other important point that you mentioned is that, you know, just because you were able to change what you looked like, it did not change what you felt like. Mm -mm. And I think a lot of people struggle with that idea that, you know, and I know we worry about a lot of young girls because we see a lot of this in teenagers and young women, although it also happens in young men and it also happens in people as they get older. People who say, I'm not good enough. I'm not the media image of what everybody says I should be. And, you know, here we live in Hawaii where it's kind of nice and warm all the time. Lots of people are, you know, bathing suit weather. They talk about it. It's pretty much all year round. So it's it's not like there's really any time where everybody can focus and just think, okay, it's springtime, we've got to get ready for summer, because it's summer all the time. So in that kind of a situation, when you think about how you transformed your life, and you were able to release the 100 pounds you mentioned, but still had to work on some of the deeper issues, how did you go about addressing some of those deeper issues? Because, you know, after you looked in the mirror and said, okay, I've done a good job, Did you ever get to that point where you looked in the mirror and said, I've done a good job? Or were you always kind of picking at something saying, yeah, but, and then brought up some other area of concern? Well, again, I had this illusion, and that's why I like to bring it out, that I was going to arrive and I was going to get thin and all of a sudden I was going to be happy. And then all of a sudden it didn't happen. No, did not happen that way. I got thin. People still criticized my body. They told me now I was too thin and I looked better, heavier. And these were family members? These were people that I know and love. Yeah, and I just was devastated by that, absolutely devastated because it's true that I— You worked hard. Yeah, and and the last thing in the world you want is more criticism and judgment when you're so critical and judgmental of yourself. But, you know, I didn't see that at the time. Instead, I took it very, very personally. It it made me get— even more fearful and want to actually get even thinner, which was crazy. It's complete, complete opposite th- thinking. So really, I just, I just, somebody posted a message on Facebook to me the other day saying that they just released 130 pounds and they're really having a hard time being in their thin body. I go, I totally get it. I totally get how scary it is because 
we use this extra weight to protect ourselves. It's safety. I mean, I talk about safety in my book. I talk about safety in my course. It's a very safe, you know, like there's a layer of safety and protection around us when we have weight on us. So when we undo it, we feel very vulnerable, very scared, and like, what do I do now? So people were judgmental, and I got a little crazy, and I had made the decision on so many levels that I was in this for good. I was in this not only because I knew this was my life's work and I was going to be of service, but I really did want to heal from the inside out. So I was like, how am I going to stop this war with my body? How am I going to stop with this war with the scale? How am I going to stop this war with food? And it was baby steps. It was really doing the internal work that I talk about in my book. It was like really getting naked and looking at myself in the bo- in the mirror and saying, you know, finding body parts that I could actually appreciate for what they did, not what they looked like. I always say it's function over form. That's a great place to start. And it was a process. It was a process to fall in love with myself and my body because what do we believe? We believe that once we fall in love with ourselves, we're like become going to become these narcissistic, selfish beings that, you know, all we do is think of ourselves. It's not that way at all. Actually, if more people were in love with themselves and self-loving, I think the world would be a different place because self-love is – it's it's really uh, a very high vibrational state. It's not about selfishness or narcissism. It's about really taking care of yourself and shutting out the noise but being with the noise in a way that's serving people, not – you know, maybe not contributing to all that noise. Not contributing, no. And when you encounter a group of people, recognizing what you would not want to put out as noise, yeah. Because other people can always be judgmental and say, "Oh, don't you think you're perfect now? Look at all these things you've done." And yet, you, this is still a constant struggle. This is part of your life and your mission to help other people through those struggles of body image and recognizing. That, yes, you can go to a holiday party and you can maybe overindulge a little bit too much, but how do you find a way to still be okay with that the next day and to move forward and think of healthier goals? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of this has direct consequences on health. When you think about the exercise and dietary changes and the medical problems we see in the United States with high cholesterol and diabetes and high blood pressure and how linked those things are, it's when we start to go deeper that I think we're going to start to really see some huge strides. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with author of Skinny Fat Perfect, Laura Fenimore, and she's here to help everybody to love who they see in the mirror. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those steps that she took to heal from the inside and those baby steps that everybody can take to really help get on a healthier path, because in the end, that's really what it's all about. Now, as always, you can be part of our conversation. And if you, too, have struggled with body image issues or with eating disorders or with a problem and found a way to take steps to help yourself that could help other people as well, we'd love to hear from you. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. On the next humankind. In some sense, there's a question of like, where do we put our trust? Do we put our trust in violence and power? Or do we place our trust in love and compassion? 
I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. I like ugly people, I do. And anyway, ugly people are just as hard to get as pretty people. They don't want you either. This week on Selected Shorts, Andy Warhol's Diaries from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday afternoon at 5, right after travel with Rick Steves. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Laura Fenimore. She is walking the walk, talking the talk, and having lived it, helping everybody to really get a better concept of body image and why that is so important to our overall health. As always, if you want to be part of the show or you struggled with similar issues or you want to make sure that your friends and family and loved ones do not, you can certainly share your mes- message with us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, right before the break, we were talking about how, you know, you you got to a point where you looked better, you felt better, you had released a lot of weight, and yet you still hadn't healed from the inside, and you said baby steps, mm-hmm. one little thing at a time, because that process of healing from the outside didn't really change the inside but could you, had you known that, could you have done the process simultaneously? And what is the process? Well, the process is a combination of a lot of things. But I will just say that the first baby step is to just become aware of how judgmental and criti- critical you are. Like of yourself. Absolutely. Of yourself. Actually, of others, too. But really just making a conscious effort is the first step that I ask people to do when I ask, say, you know, just be aware of how often you are criticizing and judging yourself. And it's like, well, great. You know, I could write a book in the course of a day for how long I, I criticize and judge, you know, or judgmental of myself. And I say, but the first step is just get conscious. And once you become conscious of that, you can't believe how able you are to cancel out, to start to cancel out every time you say something nasty, you antidote it with something really positive and loving. Like, give me an example. Like, oh my goodness, look at my fat butt. And it's like, I'm so grateful that I have a butt to sit on. I am so grateful that butts have become the greatest gift in the country now, in the world. Butts are celebrated. And I love my butt and and or women often attack their bellies and their breasts. And it's like, I'm so grateful that I get breasts in this lifetime. And if there's somebody that has lost them, I'm so grateful that I have arms and I'm so grateful for what was. And just to like hold a body part that just with tenderness and love, you know, I mean, when there's the criticism Again, it takes a little bit of practice, but to remember, to remember that just to focus on something that 
is a function over a form, something that's really working that you can appreciate while you're bad-mouthing something else, you know, because that is a reality. And then also in, in conjunction with that to just notice how much you're comparing yourself to Kim Kardashian or to a, a relative or to somebody at, on the street. or And, I mean, we are all trained to compare ourselves, especially women. We are all trained from a very, very young age to compare ourselves to little girls. We're just socialized and conditioned to do that. And to get out of that space is a practice. It's a huge practice. And now I do it all the time. I find myself comparing myself to other women, other people, whether it's about body or about careers or whatever. We're just in this game to compare ourselves. So I just have to step back and laugh at myself. Like, really? Really? Is this helpful? Like, really? Just to kind of use humor as a way out and as a way through. Because it's happening all the time. We're always comparing ourselves. So so when you started your baby steps, you know, there's no real, and, and I, I say this with a bit of certainty, there's no part of the body that doesn't have a function. Now, I've had people argue the appendix doesn't have a function. And okay, maybe, maybe not. We just haven't discovered it yet. I think it does. You know, I'm sure that it does. And, and who knows, because people can live without it. You can also live without a spleen or a gallbladder. It doesn't mean that you should. But obviously, the body was designed a certain way. And I think about, you know, when I was way back in medical school, they'd say, you only use about 20% of your brain. And the rest of it, we don't really know what it does, but it's there and it does stuff. And then they started to come out with things like functional MRI, or PET scanning. These are scans where you can actually see parts of the brain highlight when you're doing different tasks. And so you can actually see blood flow and you can see there's the really colorful scans that you can do. And we found out that actually your body uses the entire brain. We just didn't know that we did because at that time, years back, we didn't have the imaging studies to be able to prove it. So we have found over time that there really isn't a body part that doesn't have a function of some type. And yes, you might have two, okay, but still, it does something useful for your body. So one of your baby steps would be take a look at what your own self-talk says Mm -hmm. and try and turn that around. Find a function of whatever body part it is that you're self-loathing at the moment and recognize that it has a function. Whether or not it is doing that function is fine, but that there is a reason why it's there. Mm-hmm. Now, at, at what point does finding that you are loving your body more translate into doing things that are healthier for it or less abusive for it? Because, you know, part of the whole I compare myself to someone else is, well, it looks like they've done X, Y, or Z, or they have this waist size or whatever. So in order for me to get there, I must do something abusive to my body to do that, to whether starve yourself or exercise too much or do something that you really shouldn't do to get to that point, which again gets back to abusing the body in a way that it's not meant to be. At what point does it transition to now let's do healthy things to appreciate what my body does for me? Mm-hmm. I can't judge or absolutely say how long anyone's process is going to be because I can tell you that I've had, for example, a client who came to me at 49, said, I've hated my body my whole life. I don't want to go into my next decade. This is a very common scenario. I can think of three people off the top of the off the top of my head that have come to me and said, I don't want to go into my next decade hating my body. My mother was anorexic. My sister was eating disordered. My other sister was eating disordered. Help me. And I've said something like, food, the scale, your weight, you're not the enemy. Nothing's the enemy. And that 
like opened up their world. Like, oh my goodness, I have been at war with myself my whole life. And you haven't won. No. And I am done with this war. And then I've had other women who I have worked with who have been at war with themselves and have taken five steps forward and then 10 steps back and then 10 steps forward and five steps back. And the process has taken longer, but they have not given up on themselves. And there's one person that I'm thinking of right now. And if you're listening to this, I know you know that is just determined. It's like it doesn't matter how long it takes. That that longing, because what we're really hungry for is self-love, I believe. You know, we're, we're stuck in potato chips and ice cream and hating ourselves in the mirror, but we're all really longing for love. And, you know, it's there. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take somebody to access it is really individual. Now, how long did it take for you? Well, I mean, again, when I made the decision to, like, I'm in, it was from the time I was in my late 20s, I started doing this work when I was in my late 30s. But that doesn't mean I'm not a good example. I wanted to be totally clean to the best of my ability to, like, okay, you know what? I really don't hate my body anymore. I'm not really addicted to food anymore. And, you know, sobriety was came easy for me, and, you know, I'm committed to that. But I absolutely couldn't do this work until I could be authentic around, you know, what I was teaching. And I wasn't ready until I was ready. So tell us a little bit more about the journey that you describe in your book. So you made this decision. You hit this point. You were ready. You were ready to make these commitments mainly to yourself Mm -hmm. in addition to thinking forward saying this is the work I'm going to do and help other people but part of it you said was really just committing to doing the work for yourself to recognizing that it was not just about what you looked like it was about how you felt about yourself I had a lot of wreckage to clean up I mean I had a lot of darkness from my childhood that I had to clean up and I'm you know I can't say that we talked about this before the show. It's like my book is called per- Perfect because my definition of perfect is imperfect. I am hardly perfect. I have wreckage still. The difference between then and now is I have a way, a coping mechanisms, and I have a way to deal with it. And I live a very happy, healthy, balanced life. It's just... And when we think about how you got to that point... Mm-hmm. You're in your mid-30s. Mm-hmm. You're still working on this whole process. At what point did it become, I'm going to write a book about it, I'm going to coach people about it, I'm <laughs> going to be a source of help for other folks? Because you really can't do that until you, like you said, you hit a certain point where you can be authentic, maybe not to the point where you're perfect, but really just developing this healthy body image and saying, you know what, I'm going to show you the way. I'm on this journey. Come along with me. Let's discover it. I've kind of been where you're at. Let's take a few steps forward together. Well, in you know, in my early 30s, my career took a different turn. But I knew, like if I look at my journals from my late 20s and my early 30s, you know, I was working on myself. I was doing my own inner work, but I was also doing other types of work. And I knew that this was my life's work. So I was a little bit, you know, confused about what the timing and when this is going to be. And Jack Canfield, who uh, is a mentor of mine and I worked with for years as an assistant in his programs, 
you know, I would show up at his workshops and say, this is my life's work. I, 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 but I have to really heal my own self-esteem and my own self-worth. And, you know, it was just, there were just a lot of steps for me to take, which is what I teach now. You know, tons of, I had to do a lot of forgiveness work, Kathy. I mean, to me, forgiveness is the absolute key to health and healing. And it's something that's paid, people pay a lot of lip service to, like, oh, yeah, I forgive them, or I forgave them, or, and, you know, I say, until you don't want to run them over, then you haven't forgiven them. And that is... That's a good analogy. Until you could drive by (laughs) and give them a lift in your car and not want to mow them down with your vehicle, that's when you know you have forgiven. And it's not, as we talked about before this show, it it is a practice. It is not easy because... We were talking about how difficult it is to forgive people that hurt animals and children. It's not easy. Yeah. And it's really not easy. And yet, you know, it's it's living in a in a higher spiritual plane to get to the point where you can actually have compassion for people even that are haters and hurters. And how is your relationship? You mentioned your mom. You've sort of found a way to to incorporate her back into your life. What about your siblings? Oh, I I have nothing but love and compassion for my siblings and for my mom. I mean, just just pure love. So that's been a way that you would invite them into your car and take them for a ride. Oh, yeah, but my brothers and sisters were victims like I were. Absolutely. So the compassion, they, they experienced the same thing. Absolutely. Did they go through some of the same issues you did? A few of them, yeah. Okay. Have you Have they ever reached out and followed your process? Do you know if they've read your book? Okay. Because I think your message is universal. And I think part of what appeals to everyone is, you know, when we talk about wellness, and there's Mm -hmm. this huge movement in healthcare to focus on wellness, you know, they cover wellness exams, wellness in your workplace, wellness and trying to find ways to keep yourself healthy. And in some ways, it's because, you know, it's cheaper for insurance. If you're healthy, it's better for your employer if you show up and you're not sick. And taking time off from uh, from work to go be ill because, you know, you weren't taking care of yourself. So there's a huge movement towards wellness. Mm-hmm. And when we think of that movement, a lot of it is just focused on your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your sugar. You do these little tests for your workplace and or your stress levels and trying to get some exercise in. But there's not really a good path. There's not really a concrete sort of way to say, here's how you can really work on it. It's just, mm-hmm. do you meet the numbers? Did you do the testing you needed to do? Are you looking at those numbers? Are you kind of working on it? But there's not really you no know, like a all-encompassing, comprehensive tool to help people go from point A to point B. And your book really describes your tool. And I think the key is that it's your message of how you got to that point and not necessarily how everybody's going to follow that path. But if you found a way, other people may respond well to that and may want to follow you along that and help heal themselves in the process. So you mentioned when you do coaching and when you do workshops, what does your life look like now? What is the structure of what you do? Well, I actually have a website it's called skinnyfatperfect.com, and there you can find uh, a great blog, and you can find resources and tools, and I actually have a free gift on my site called the Skinny Fat Perfect Manifesto, and anyone can have access to it by just going to the website and opting in, 
And um, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful little tool, something to read to yourself every day. I've had women write to me and say, hey, I'm put that on my mirror and every day I read my manifesto and it's making such a difference. It takes 21 days to change a habit. So if you read this to yourself, I say once or twice a day. It's a really wonderful tool to begin. Well, you've set it up. You've, I've, you've got to read some of it. I'm looking at this page. and <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Read some of the manifesto. Excellent. So the Skinny Fat Perfect Manifesto. To anyone putting her happiness on hold until she gains or loses the weight or fits into a size 8 or feels more attractive or stops asking the question, does this matter? Does this make me look fat? Today... Your weight is over. The present will overtake the past. Today, you will let self-love win. One small, soulful step at a time. I want you to listen for the stories holding you back and release them. Leave your disappointments behind with compassion and grace. Open your heart to forgiveness and peace because you deserve to. End the finger-pointing blame game and walk forward into the light. Let your journey to happiness begin. Your warrior spirit will guide the way. A world rich with inner peace and possibility awaits you. A body you love at any size. A life more blissful and fulfilling than you could imagine. An end to the stress, the strain, the fear. All you have to do is say yes today. So it's a very positive beginning to a day just saying yes again today and yeah this is just I would say broad strokes there's a lot more depth to the work that I do with people but you got to start somewhere exactly exactly you got to start somewhere and I know for me the comparing ourselves looking at negative self-talk Um, forgiveness, which is a huge, huge, huge part of most people's healing, because let's face it, we want to blame the world for our problems. And we certainly want to blame our families. And we certainly want. And that doesn't mean that people were not victims or victimized. I mean, I, I said that the reason why I share my story is just to give people hope and strength. And, you know, as far as my family is concerned, my family is a miracle. They're amazing, amazing people who have supported me and my growth, and I support them and love them. And just really, I, I was blessed. Considering our rough beginning, my family, they're amazing people. Well, and I think you've you have really brought that to the manifesto, and you brought it to what you want to share with other people so that they can also come on this journey and find ways that they can heal themselves. Because, you know, you could have the absolute perfect size 8, size 6, whatever, choose your size you want, body, and yet still not be happy with yourself. And part of that leads you to do things that may not be healthy for you. Exactly. For years, I was addicted to diet pills and bulimia. For years, I was addicted to that. To stay thin, that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. So even when you lost the weight, you still had to work on some of those issues and come back, coming back to where your where your definition of health is and how you got to that point. So we're going to talk about that again in just a few moments. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Laura Fenimore, and we're talking about her book, Skinny Fat Perfect, so that no matter what you are, accepting where you are and helping to recognize that your body has a purpose may help you to be more careful about some of the things that you put in it, which a lot of different nutrients and foods that we eat are very good for us, and 
you know, I'll be the first person to say that chocolate is a crutch and I love it and I shouldn't eat as much of it, but yum. So there are some things that we have to look at that'll help us to achieve better health in the long run. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those other baby steps that we could all take, particularly around holiday time when people are focused on trying to look great, wanting to go to the holiday Christmas party, wanting to look really good, setting up those New Year's resolutions, and how can they go from intention to creating a purpose? We'll be right back in just a quick break. You can join us, as always, 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Jill McBarnett, the children's book author, will present a reading of her Goodnight Gecko with a mini-musical performance by the Keiki Singers and Dancers from the Maui Academy of Performing Arts. It's the 25th anniversary of a contemporary classic, and we'll meet the author tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Explore the Christmas traditions of small-town Italy. They do live nativities there, so you have a poor woman staying there like uh, Mary, (laughs) really freezing. And hear what makes the season extra special in London, Norway, Greece, Basque Country, and in France. In southern France, they do the 13 different Christmas desserts. Get a taste of the many flavors of European Christmas on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with author of Skinny Fat Perfect, Laura Fenimore. And we're talking today about body image and how important it is for people to have a healthy body image so that what they're doing to treat their body, whether it be exercise or diet or activities, are something that's nourishing for it. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about how looking at where you're at, the manifesto, which is really accepting now who you are, the good, the bad, whatever you consider to be, and deciding that that's that's okay with your life and it's going to help take you to the next day. We we heard the manifesto. It's really just admitting that here's where you're at, that yes, you have a purpose and discovering what that purpose is and recognizing that it really isn't about a number size, a scale, a weight or something like that. And it has a lot more to do with acceptance. And so, you know, there's a lot of things going on in society right now, Laura, that, you know, they talk about discrimination. They talk about People who, you know, let's face it, a lot of our society is overweight. And so some people might have thoughts on that. Years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow was in a movie where she wore this big fat suit and described what it was like when she walked around in public, not even as part of the movie, and how she was treated differently and how she how that made her feel. The same thing happens when people look good, that there's also the opposite going on, that women or men who look good, who look what society would consider to be perfect or what we might consider to be skinny and or attractive, there's a whole different level of of hatred on them as well. Mm-hmm. It's like we're dragging one another down. Mm-hmm. What have uh, you noticed about that? I have noticed that people do hate on each other no matter what. Like the reality is, is that we do live in a fattest world 
and that, you know, there is the illusion out there that if you get thin, you will be well. But then when you get thin, you're hated on too. And there's just all kinds of condemnation that goes on. So just being aware of that, about how you're speaking about other people. Like I hear people be very, very nasty about what we call what a beautiful man or a beautiful woman looks like. And we say, oh, God, we're so jealous of them or we're so that. It's like let people be who they are. And the way that I like to talk to my students about it is that somebody made up what beauty is looks like, okay? Just make believe that it was made up in some, you know, fantasy land out there. This is what beauty is. And yeah, it's true. We do live in a world that is made up. It's kind of just made up. This is the illusion of beauty. And this is what we all bought as truth. It's like, this is what beauty looks like. This is truth. And this is what matters. Okay. So that was made up. And so what does that make people that don't fit into that mold? Less than lovable? I don't think so. And the people that do fit into the mold more lovable or more reachable? Well, in society standard, that is what the truth is. But that's not really the truth. (laughs) It's just all kind of part of the illusion. And I know that I'm as much of a part of this game of what beauty is as you are, as the next person is. But to remember to, like, step out of that and to be in... I'm worthy of love no matter what I look like, no matter what size I am, no matter what age I am. And the most important thing for me to say is that when I was young and somebody said to me, you know, I hope that you are releasing this weight for all the right reasons, for your health versus your image. So I always say my heart over my butt. And and I I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but that that somebody brought it to my awareness was really powerful. And she said, you have to love yourself all the way down the scale in order for this to be sustainable. And again, I didn't know what that meant. Like, What does that even mean? But I actually was smart and wise enough to know that it had something to do with self-acceptance and that I had to accept myself at 220 before I could love myself at 120 or That there had to be. And of course, you know, I still got to my lower weight and I still wasn't happy. But I had that memory of somebody telling me. And I could also, you know, what they say in the 12-step program is fake it till you make it. I had that knowing that I had to practice liking myself all the way down the scale. So let's talk about some, some steps. There are some action steps that you have listed in your book. And it sort of is a way for people to look at the process, see where they're at, and take some constructive steps towards addressing some of the issues that for you, it took you decades to really come to terms with. And yet having walked that walk, you're able to share that journey with other people and allow them to see some of the things like you mentioned, this woman said something to you, and you kind of knew that there was this grain of truth in there. And even if you weren't ready to accept it yet, you knew sometime that would that would come to play. And it did, clearly. Absolutely. What are some of the steps that other people could take? If somebody's listening right now saying, yeah, you know what? 
I was supposed to lose those 20 pounds before I went to meet with the family on the mainland or before I had that Christmas party. And here I am again, and I still haven't done it. And my New Year's resolution was to do it, and I still didn't reach it. And we go here we go another year when I'm going to have to try and have this battle again. What are some of the steps someone like that could take to change that negativity process that they're going through, looking at how they look in their Christmas clothes or anything like that, to a little bit more of a positive proactive, preventative health approach? Well, I think most people are looking for um, the secret sauce in the diet. And it's not that I don't think that losing weight or releasing weight is important. Um, I do think it's important if that's what's going to make you ultimately happier and feel healthier about yourself. Or even be healthier if you have diabetes or high cholesterol or high blood pressure or you have back pain or you have some other sort of a problem, that losing the weight may actually physically make you feel better. But I think unless you're living in a cave, most people know that there's millions of diets out there. There's millions of exercise programs. And I don't deal with those as much as I deal with the resistance to them. Like, why are you resistant to that? What is stopping your mind from wanting a healthier option, from wanting a healthier option? Because you know that there are consequences for going to the holiday parties and just overeating and overusing Halloween, another sugar holiday. I say it starts with Halloween and then Thanksgiving, and now there's going to be the other holidays and then New Year's, and it's all this food frenzy. So there we are at the food frenzy, and most of us are not living in the present. We're living in anxiety of where we are. We're thinking about being with family. It's it's There's a lot of emotional, mental stuff getting stirred up when we're in you know, family and friends' house for the holidays. So actually just trying to practice some mindfulness and some some practice some presence. And as I like to say, there's no, absolutely no mystery about what's in front of us when we're at these holiday parties. We pretty much can, like, design it in our head. I think imagery is really important. What's going to be there? We know what's going to be there. So making conscious choices ahead of time and being at peace with those choices Instead of setting ourselves up to go binge, hate ourselves afterwards, like, I'm going to actually practice something different at this holiday party. I'm going to go. I might eat a piece of cake, but I'm going to eat it with consciousness and love. And, you know, if somebody's listening and they're like, yeah, but I'm a food addict, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that. I have no idea how to do that. I think that there's a lot of programming from the past that we are... There's habits and there's programming from the past that we're living in. And I had somebody just write me on Facebook today and say, Laura, you know what? I was listening to you on a summit that you were on and I heard you say, you know, something. And I've been yo-yo dieting my whole life. And, oh, God, the last 15 years I just gave up and now I'm back on the track. And I just said to her, listen, every day is an opportunity to begin again. Every moment is an opportunity to begin again. So it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. You have a new opportunity now. Start fresh now. So every morning or every day or every meal, you don't have to wait till January 1st. What would you, you know, you hear all these little tips. People say, don't go to a party hungry. When you envision putting it in your head of, you know, what's going to be at the party. There's no mystery. When you think about that whole process, 
What is it that you would suggest people do so that they don't fall into the trap of, I have to go ahead and try a little bit of everything? What would be a constructive idea that they could they could formulate? Well, I think making a decision ahead of time, because you pretty much know what's going to be there, finding healthy distractions. I mean, ultimately, the holidays really are about connecting with people, and we do fall in the hole of food too. But if we think about food as medicine and food is really good for our bodies and healthy for our bodies, but, uh, you know, abusing it and overusing it is really quite the contrary to what our bodies need. So we want to fall into the vat of whatever. And we're imagining in our mind's eye going up. I, I, I just invite people to do all kinds of imagery beforehand and to really think about what they're going to do when they get there so that they're just not in this place of unknowing, unconsciousness, because that's really what leads you back to those old habits is not even thinking about. Like if I'm, if I'm afraid about going to a party because I know I'm going to overeat and, over, and abuse myself in that way, I just really want to sit down for a moment, ground myself down and think about what do I really want? What do I really want? Uh, I don't really want to feel bad or hungover or crappy about myself the next day. I really want to feel connected. Because you know what? No one has ever come up to me and said, rarely have people, I I released weight and felt really bad about myself. I mean, I'm like the exception to the rule. In the sense that I said I had a lot of wreckage. But most people, when they release weight, they feel pretty good about themselves. Or when they take care, better care of themselves. Or when they eat a little bit less, they make a conscious decision and eat a little bit less. They go, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of myself. And, you know, you know, I always say that Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners and, and Hanukkah dinners and all the holiday, they all have really good food at them, too. You know, I mean, there is salad and there's proteins and there's food that we know is better for our bodies at those things. So if we could just lean into that just a little bit more and, yeah. So what's the disaster plan? What's the plan if, you know, you you did overindulge Mm -hmm. at the party and you wake up the next morning and you're like, you know, I started with one episode of cake and then I had cookies and then I had pie and then I went back for some more and now I have leftovers. And so how do you get somebody back on that? path again? How do you get them motivated to say, okay, so yesterday was yesterday, today's a new day, now I want to start fresh? Because it's very similar. You mentioned some of the 12-step programs earlier, and a lot of those types of programs are are acknowledging the fact that you may lapse, you may go back, Mm -hmm. and it's it's okay. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that that may happen, Mm -hmm. and then make some steps to see if it won't happen again. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things you could do if you were at a party and maybe you had too much, whether it be to eat or to drink or or in some way overindulged, you get up the next morning, what do you say to yourself so that you don't feel so negative and bad for the rest of the day? Well, the most important thing is to live in the moment. It's like, okay, what happened is over. It's over. Like today is another opportunity to begin again. What can I learn from what happened? Not, you know, not to hate on yourself and how dare I do that or, you know, what kind of a worthless piece of garbage am I? 
I have no control. I have no willpower. I mean, how in all that negative talk is stuff. All that of that. I think ne- everybody. I mean, has I have a whole before. chapter about Nick's negativity in there. Of course, it does not serve anyone on this planet for you to be hating on yourself after you've done that. It's like okay, so I, you know, what can I learn from what happened? And I, I encourage a lot of my students to write love letters to themselves, to food, to the refrigerator, to I mean, literally write you know, letters to themselves about about what they would like to see different, about why they appreciate, you know, themselves, and just real love letters to themselves. Well, and to take the time, I think that's the other thing that our culture has set us up to be very fast-paced, to get everything done quickly. Okay, so you're going to eat dinner, and then you're going to do all these other activities, and or you know, read a book or whatever it is that you want to do, watch TV, another thing that a lot of folks will do. So really just trying to take time. I think a lot of it is just stop, acknowledge, accept, and take a moment. Mm-hmm. You talk about living in the present. Every one of us is living there right this very minute. We're here. We're breathing. We're you know, talking and people may be listening and and hopefully getting something from our discussion. And so it's about acknowledging where you're at, Mm -hmm. taking a look at where you've been, but accepting Mm -hmm. that that's what got you to where you're at. You know, it's funny because I think of that movie, Back to the Future. This was the year. I forget what day it was. Maybe it was October 21 or something like that. It was the day that they programmed in that wonderful time traveling car that they came to the future and the little thing that was changed in the past that dramatically would have altered the future Mm -hmm. when we think about would you have done something differently you never know how that would have changed who you would you would have been now Mm -hmm. had you had the perfect idyllic childhood with everything absolutely wonderful white picket fence perfect parents perfect family perfect everything could you have gotten to the point where you're at now oh i feel like the luckiest person in the world to have the childhood that i have because i wouldn't be where i am if i hadn't have it so i i don't i don't you know i just feel like it was a gift a gift in a in a you know twisted form but that's the only way that i can just acknowledge that what i do is for a much higher purpose and that the reason why I was given the parents that I was given and the upbringing I was given is so that I could do this. It made me stronger. It made me a lot stronger. And for that, I am grateful. And you shared that whole journey in your book. Now, where can people get it? We've talked about it. I'm looking at it. I'm holding it. It's a very nice sized book. It's, you know, red is my favorite color. There it is. But also in reading it, it really gave people some concrete steps on what to do for themselves. Where can they find it? Well, they can find it on my website and there's a link there to uh, Amazon, but they can also just go to Amazon, Skinny Fat Perfect. It's very simple to find. Amazon, Skinny Fat Perfect, Love Who You See in the Mirror is the the subtitle, but it's right on Amazon. And also, I just want to put a shout out that I do have a page on Facebook, Skinny Fat Perfect. Please come and like my page. And then I have a community, Love Who You See in the Mirror on Facebook. Please come and join that and a Twitter account, which is Laura Fenimore, my name. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. And we are going to have to call it short at that. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.